Another week! It's more likely than you think. A lot of big things happened and continue to happen in the world and also here on the pod. This week, we welcomed Eleanor Hobson to the team as our media and marketing extraordinaire, and she launched our Instagram and Twitter accounts. So now I'm not hiding from my job because this kind of is my job, which is very exciting and fun. You can go follow those at that do it for you on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, in terms of individual givers, I would like to thank this week, we got Dante Topo, Chandler Parrot Thomas, Jackie Perrin, Eric Solis, and Angela Hernandez. If you would like to be like these awesome folks, you can catch my Venmo in the episode notes. And in the realm of payment, we have officially launched the Patreon. That means you can make a monthly pledge starting as low as $2 and receive really fun extras such as episode art that I attempt to draw myself, audio and visual extras, and even the opportunity to guest on an episode. I feel like a psycho monster launching a Patreon at this time, so there's absolutely no expectation to give. I will still be doing episodes for free on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. But if you have enjoyed the podcast and have the means to do so, supporting on the Patreon is the best way to help us keep on growing. And you can find that at patreon.com slash for your pod, and I will also link that in the episode notes. And lastly, before we get to the episode, if you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends. Okay, I think that's everything. Now, without further ado, the first episode recorded in 2020, Shakespeare and Love with Wiley Basho Gorn. Hello and welcome to That Do It For Ya, a sexual awakenings podcast about why we're like this. I'm Aurelia Grierson, and every episode I interview a guest about the media that made them horny for the first time, and how and if they carry that with them today. This is a sex-positive podcast with swear words and mentions of characters I do not own. Hello? Oh, I guess maybe we just need to be closer to the mic. Okay, we'll just, I'm going to give a brief moment of silence and then we'll jump in. Okay. Hello and welcome to a whole new 2020 episode of That Do It For Ya. We are picking the interviews back up after a year-long hiatus, and I'm here with Wiley Basho Gorn. Hello. How you doing, Wiley? I'm doing. I'm doing all right. A year hiatus. A year hiatus. This so this is the first one you're doing. Yeah, this is the first recorded of the new set of interviews. Call this season two. Why not? Very honored. Yes, you should be. Um, thank you. <laughs> I'm limited in who I can and have in person, so thank and you for we've agreeing. We've got time on our hands. We've got some time, so thank you for agreeing to be here. Yes, so a human being, I tend to start projects hot and heavy and then just never finish them. That's just kind of who I am as a person, so thank you for agreeing to help me. Absolutely. This, this project again. So Absolutely. Wiley, who are you and how do we know each other? Well, my name is Wiley Basho Gorn. I am a theater artist, primarily focused on voice and text work. I direct, I'm a dramaturg, and I believe we are in a relationship yes, together. Yes, we we've, are in a relationship together. We've been dating for the last... It, um, it's... I. I know in May, May 17th, is that's the year. Yes. So, I mean, working backwards from that, I mean, 11, 10, 10 months? months. I think April will be our 11th. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I think around this time last year, we were becoming more aware Pretty of each solidly. other. Pretty solidly. Well, yeah. because um, well, uh, people who, who have heard this story or were around during the time will know, and when I first met you in January, February of 2019, I thought you were gay. This is also true. Because <laughs> you were nice. And, and I dressed well. And dressed well, yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so anyway, 11 months 
this. Oh, this is a fun story. I think we should tell it. You want to tell it? Yeah, you should tell it also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we met at OSF. I was doing a residency, and Aurelia was an understudy for two of the main stage shows. And Aurelia thought I was gay. Yes. That's. And I tried to set you up with uh, my roommate at the time, Eric. That is very true. Been on the pod. He did a wonderful episode about Lost. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Coming out soon. Look forward to hearing it. Yes. Um, So I was trying to set you two up, and then it was the scene shop party. Uh huh. Where you discovered that I was not gay. It was after the scene shop party, we started talking, and Aurelia would come and sneak into tech. Aurelia would sneak into tech. I would always get texts from from her saying, I'm going to come annoy you in tech. And I'm like, oh. Because I would get off work, and I realized after our lengthy conversation that was mostly us making fun of you that I really enjoyed your company. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, come annoy me in tech. Uh, I did have one of, Aurelia brought this up to me a bit later. This was a moment of, that was just a pure flex on my part. Um, Speaking of like, I think this is a great moment to bring up just on a podcast where we talk about our first time being horny. Sure. Because this is the, okay, TMI, this is the first time you made me horny. Cool. I love you. (laughs) Love you too. I have a very good memory. Encyclopedic knowledge. I have a very good memory for... The spoken word and language, particularly language that I've heard a number of times. And I, I'm not, I'm not an actor. I studied acting, but I'm not an actor. But I remember these words very well. So much so that given a production, there's always a point in any show that I work on where I could be on book for the show without having looked at, without looking at a script. And Aurelia and I were mid-conversation during... Mackers. During Macbeth, can I say? We're not in a theater. During Macbeth. (laughs) And I was talking to Aurelia and someone called line and mid-conversation... He shouted it over his shoulder. You shouted it over your shoulder. (laughs) Very casually, very cavalier, just... Exactly the right line at the right moment, and then you went right back into conversation with me. I was floored. I was so impressed, and <laughs> that was uh, when I decided. <laughs> and I absolutely admit that's the keystone of what it means for me to show off. <laughs> I don't have a lot of ways that I can show off, but like every now and then, when it really like that point lands, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. And then a few days later, we were making out in an alley. Yes. And that's yes. the whole story. Beach. On Beach Ave, where we fell in love at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. So, Wiley, would you say that Shakespeare has been very formative for you? Yes, Shakespeare has been very formative for me. I love that playwright. And I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I love about his work, because I also hold a deep frustration with anyone who's like, oh my god, I just, I love it so much. And I I wonder if, like, my frustration stems from an insecurity in myself. Mm -hmm. Like, what does my love really amount to? Is it real or is it just all talk and no real action? Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I was very connected in with Shakespeare plays. Twelfth Night was the first one. My father saw a production when I was seven years old. He saw a production in Lincoln Center in New York. And he came back and he acted out the play with my little figurines and action figures. And then I went to, uh, that was the first show I ever saw. That was the first one I was ever ever in. Lots of connections with Twelfth Night. Yes, but what made you horny? What made me horny? Well, I don't know if it was 
specifically Shakespeare, but it was definitely a Shakespeare adjacent story. My parents were very, I don't, I don't know what the term is, they didn't shy away, like, it wasn't a big censored household. Mm -hmm. You were very liberal household? It was a liberal household. Like, and so if a, if a movie had some nudity in it, they trusted to my maturity and they didn't, you know, cover my eyes or anything. And the film Shakespeare in Love came out in 1999. So I think I saw it then, but it was on the rewatching once we there was a DVD option that some some things started to happen. I mean, it's a very it's a pretty sexy scene. I think yes. when he runs and I mean, he's just discovered that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as Thomas Kent, I think her, well, her name is Viola Vi DeLessips and she goes by the name of Thomas Kent. Oh, I wish I'd rewatched this movie for this episode. infiltrates his company. And I mean, and I loved that movie so much. Before I ever found it sexy, I absolutely loved the movie. I thought it was very funny. And I was like, oh, and there's the part where their the clothes come off. But whatever. There's Shakespeare and there's a sword fight and Ben Affleck <laughs> is in it. And like, I was just, and I thought um, that Jeffrey Rush getting his feet burned was like the height of comedy. <laughs> I was really into that. But yeah, it's that scene where they're undressing each other and then it goes into this like really sexy montage of she's rehearsing Romeo and Juliet on stage. She's Romeo and then little Sam is Juliet. But it's intercut with them in bed and they're running lines and he's Juliet, she's Romeo. And those were definitely the first times that I became aware of this feeling down down below. <laughs> the uh, the pulsing the in my pulsing, panties. The pulsing in your panties? Yeah. The, the text awoke you? Yeah, the text and the breasts. I yeah, mean, I mean... It was, a com it was a combination. It was a combination of the two. And I didn't think that that film... I mean, if I think back to it, it wasn't particularly pornographic no. I, don't, I don't think it was you know I, I think that the the stakes it caused for a raising of the stakes in that moment that it meant very well and uh yeah I was very taken in by that and it definitely like while we had the DVD I remember that first time I just I did not know what was going on I feel like I was around. I was around thirteen. Mm -hmm. Well, that make that's <laughs> that that makes sense. That's the right that, age. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I I you know I knew how to work. I knew how to work a DVD player. <laughs> I knew how to get to that scene selection, and I could put it in and just jump to right right that to scene. The, right to the scene. Um, Amazing. Yeah. You know when they did it at OSF. Uh -huh. uh, what was that, three years ago? Yeah. Four years ago? 2017. 2017, yeah. So they did it at OSF, and when I saw it, um, there was a group of middle schoolers sitting in front of me. And this it was this moment where I realized, oh, theater will never die because of this specific thing. The children, when they... So the scene in the play is, I think, done very well. And I think OSF did a very good job of them undressing each other and speaking text. And, and, and it was very, like passionate and sensual and the kids in front of me were losing their goddamn minds wow they were loud in a way that felt like they connected to what was happening on stage it didn't feel disruptive in any way because they were experiencing oh. sex in front of them and their minds were blown and they were having the best time and they were they were rooting for the characters they were connected they were excited and i was like oh no i'm watching awakenings that is happening so in front of me cool 
It's my favorite theater going experience I've ever had. And I think of it like I've been, as I continue on with an interest in, um, in vocal studies and what does it mean to really free your voice, I do think we smother ourselves so much mm-hmm. around sex and mm-hmm. sexuality and our expressions of it to a point. And it, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a source of parody. People are made, that's like, that's a joke, you know, being super loud at sex and not to say like, go be loud at sex, like be however, however, however loud, yeah, whatever however makes loud you, you need to be. And, but there yeah. is such like a cultural, I don't know, I don't know what the word, I want to say dampener. Sure. Uh, there, there's just like, there's, there's a lid on it that that's something you don't talk about. You don't, you don't talk about those experiences. You keep them private. And uh, I think that's wonderful that a piece of theater can elicit such a full body response that doesn't feel covered in shame where I need to hide this. And I'm sitting there, you know, red faced looking at my feet, but that you could verbally and physically be aroused and not aroused. And when I say aroused, I mean anything that sparks interest and engagement. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a word that I think, I think we should work on taking back. Take back the word aroused. That I was aroused by that. These kids were so connected to this moment on stage. But it was really delightful to watch. And I was that engaged, aroused kid at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I remember going to see uh, shows when I was in middle school and early high school that just... Oh my god, not to like name my own podcast, but they did it for me. I was Ding ding. Yes, I was seeing I was seeing human sexuality in front of me in Shakespeare plays, particularly in Shakespeare plays. I'm thinking of Romeo and Juliet and As You Like It specifically. That just so I remember sitting there sweating. <laughs> just I just wanted to see them kiss and touch and speak this language like the language was so a part of it it was so sexy to Uh, watch these plays and I I think so much of why I got into theater was because I felt oh theater fucks (laughs) (laughs) oi um I do remember the first show that I saw any nudity in. tell me more it was metamorphosis it was Mary Zimmerman's metamorphosis and it was the scene between is it eros and psyche, psyche? Mm-hmm. and who, which which one is which one is the male and that is it eros is it eros eros right? yeah and eros was naked and i i saw that and i remember thinking he's naked are they allowed to do that <laughs> or like oh, i didn't realize that they were allowed to do that mm-hmm. and that was that was really an interesting thing i also remember a sex scene from that play that was very the one between the father and the daughter yeah yeah, yeah it was very it, i mean that is an incredibly disturbing and painful story but the way it was choreographed ooh, was just so i mean the language of gesture and that i thought was very was used beautifully because i was drawn in and aroused by that mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. deeply uncomfortable and afraid of what was going on. Yes. Yeah. There's something about, and I've been thinking about this and in, in preparing to talk to you about this, is that there's something that feels very anti-pornographic about watching sexuality on stage, particularly in classic work. And for me, it felt like watching these plays was 
in so many ways, like my first experience of sexuality in front of me. And it was happening in front of me on this, like in the same room, sharing air, sharing space. And the impact that had of just my understanding of beauty and sexuality being linked, romance and sexuality being linked, language and sexuality being linked, and being aroused on a, on a level beyond the physical was I think what these plays like really did for me. And I want to, we've been talking about this, about As You Like It. We have. I saw that play my freshman year and it was, oh, I was so turned on. I saw it several times and was so turned on. That's a very, that's a very sexy play. I won't name names, but this particular, this particular production was also very sexy and the two in the Orlando and the Rosalind slash Ganymede were very sexy. And I think only in hindsight, or as uh, we call it in the queer community, heterospect. Really? Is that? Heterospect, yeah. In heterospect. Cool. I realized my, I think my obsession with As You Like It, now as, as a non-binary person, as someone who thinks gender is fake, particularly for myself, and I feel like I live so much more in the zones between masculine and feminine that I don't feel entirely woman and I don't feel entirely man. I feel like something else. And As You Like It in particular, to me, is a play about a a non-binary person, about a trans person. Because only when Rosalind goes into the Forest of Arden is disguised as Ganymede, Ganymede, she becomes herself so much more and she meets the, the person she loves who then falls in love with her in her entirety. And then that scene at the end when she reveals herself, she comes forward as both Rosalind and Ganymede. And he doesn't yeah. ask her to change back into her womanly garb, as in Twelfth Night, which can feel rather diminishing as, as, as a non-binary person. But like it feels Give very... Give my hand. Exactly. Orlando cannot be with Rosalind until he falls in love with Ganymede. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very tricky play because... And I think you've really named where the conflict needs to live because about halfway through the play, all the exterior things that would stop them getting together disappear. Mm-hmm. Once they get into Arden, Duke Frederick isn't there. Mm-hmm. Oliver isn't there. Yep. There's no there's no one to stop these two people getting together because we both we even know that they already love each other yes so what's to stop what's stop her from just being like oh it's me it's rosalind it's the fact that she is comfortable as ganymede uh yeah and how can she get this person she loves to love her whole self and not just her feminine presentation that's such a that's such a fascinating and complex relationship dynamic to explore that I know I directed it a few years ago and the play kicked my ass because (laughs) there was no conflict Mm -hmm. because there I I could not I couldn't find that conflict within it because I didn't see that and I didn't understand it yeah and something that I mean I know I I kind of struggled when I came out as non-binary with my sexuality it felt like they were kind of tied up in each other I've been out as bisexual since I was 14. I mean, I dipped back into the closet. We don't have to say why. But I often, whenever I enter into partnerships, and you included, I I worry and I wonder if someone can understand and love the whole me in all of its complications and all of its sort of gender dabbling ways. And I think as a young person who didn't understand themselves really at all, I, I mean... I had just come out as bi that year mm. when I saw As You Like It. And I just remember being like, oh my God. And that Rosalind very much embodied this masculinity and this femininity. And when she came out at the end, it was all there and he loved her. And I just 
wanted that so badly and I was so horny for that and like there was a moment the way that it was staged that in one of the scenes where she's like going on and on and talking and being Ganymede chatty oh, Ganymede God. and he Everybody kissed her to get her to stop talking and there was this moment like between them of this pure recognition and understanding in that kiss that like really threw the Orlando the character off which I loved but I also just was like that is possible? Oh, it blew my mind. I was so horny for it. Oh, I loved that's it. that's beautiful. Yes. That's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about that. Yeah. I think about that play very often. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what other, other Shakespeare's that really like. Are sexy. Sexy Shakespeare's. Oh, oh my God. Of course. So Trevor Nunn's Twelfth Night with Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. Really we watched it. We did watch it, and it's wonderful. It's so good. But I will say a Shakespeare that it tying into this conversation around budding sexuality, the Midsummer Night's Dream from 1997. Oh, yeah. Real good. Again, it's with Kevin Kline and um, uh, 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 Clarissa Flockhart. Yeah, Clarissa Flockhart plays Helena. It's wonderful. And so many, I'm, I'm blanking on the names. I mean, Dominic West is in there. Yeah. Who, who plays Titania? It's... Um, oh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Uh, and Stanley Tucci is Puck. It's a wonderful... It's wonderful. It may be... I, I need to go back and double check this. It may be my favorite filmed Shakespeare. I but think so, for me too. There, I just loved the design. I loved the movement. I loved the... Uh, the pathos and the journey that Kevin Klein brought to bottom, a character that's so often just written off as, I mean, he played for laughs and he was very funny, but he was also charming and wonderfully heartbroken. There's a moment where the uh, the fairies have sent their sort of their spies, their minions into uh, into Athens and they've brought back and throughout the film, you see them kind of like running and stealing these things and they run off into the woods with this uh, with this little wagon full of knickknacks and stuff. And they come into the fairy glade of Titania and they're passing out all of these mortal like man-made objects. It, it's, a, it's a record player. It's silverware and plates. And they're using the plates as mirrors because they've never seen them before. <laughs> and I remember they hand, there was a panning shot and it goes over to this pool where these fairy women are bathing. Mm, naked. And they were naked. And I remember being so... And it was like, it was done in such a way that you couldn't quite see, but you could also see. Mm. It was a very, it was like a, it was a very tasteful side boob. <laughs> in like, in, and, and I was, and it was so, because they were just discovering, oh, what's this record? What can it do? And I remember watching that and being very, interested and intrigued by that moment as they were discovering things i was discovering things oh my god i was very i was very drawn in yes uh and i mean that movie also has a great moment at the end because the lovers are very much discovered naked, naked. Lying all on the together ground. and uh theseus goes up you all stand up and they're just kind of there they the have grass. like a sheet yeah they all have like a sheet together oh, it's yes. great it's, it is a really good filmed version i don't really enjoy filmed versions of shakespeare very much again all of my like formative shakespeare is here stirrings was, was uh, here the i have like this very distinct memory of seeing troilus and cressida for the first time and there was just one line of text you're going to correct me on it i'm sure i don't know troilus and cressida very well <gasps> Okay, it's like not even that long of a line. It's just he says her bed is India. And I was like, holy fuck. Her bed is India. Mm -hmm. 
That was all. I just see. He... I if you had said that to me, I would have assumed that was Anthony and Cleopatra. That seems uh, like Anthony something. Anthony and Cleopatra has never really done it for me. Oh wait a second! I know where that line is. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I that He's was talking a, yeah. about her bed is in the yeah and it, yep yeah. I have so many male friends who have asked for recommendations for Shakespeare monologues. I always say that one and they never do it. Trialless. I really, I, it's like right after Pandarus leaves and he's yeah. like, well, I want you to hook me up with Crescent. And he's like, I'll try. And then he like has this soliloquy about wanting to fuck her. Uh-huh. And it's a good one. And I think it's better than most soliloquies about wanting to fuck people. Yeah. There's, um, there's a good number of those. Yeah. You know, it's the creepiest one. Oh no, which? Yakimo. Oh, yeah. I, that one's no good. That one doesn't I do it for in, me. I, that play is fascinating. I went to, I was in a reading. I, I observed a reading of it over Zoom because that's the way we experience readings now. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something really weird and perverted about that scene. Yeah, I really hate it. You don't really need to do much. That You just kind of say the language. Yeah, I don't like it. Ugh, God. Ugh. Do not like it. Yeah, yeah, and then Posthumus kind of goes crazy. Yeah, in his little. I mean, I don't think Cymbeline is good. That's just I've my own some... personal opinion. I had a wonderful experience of that play. A company called Fiasco Theater in New York. They did a production of Cymbeline. It was six people, and their only set piece was a giant trunk, and it was so good. It was so good. It was just simple and unapologetic and just it was it was them oh it was beautiful Mm. it was beautiful and it was uh, a teacher of mine in school would always say any one of shakespeare's plays can be his best play or his worst play (laughs) and that really proved that they took this play that i mean people are up in the air some people really like cymbeline some people don't but they made that play sing Mm. in a beautiful way Mm. yeah it's lovely well, we should start wrapping it up. I guess we should. Um, but I had just one little anecdote I wanted to share with the listeners. Please. Um, early on in our in our courtship and our long distance life, I went to go see the Twelfth Night that you directed, and I loved it. I want to be clear that I really enjoyed your work. Ah. I think that you are a brilliant director, and I love you. Thank you. Um, that was yeah. But one of my. My favorite thing that you said to me about it after we saw the show on the way home, <laughs> you <laughs> you said to me, yeah, I was watching it. I was watching it with you and I realized, oh no, it's not sexy enough for Aurelia. <laughs> and I guess already I had established to you that I hold my Shakespeare to a very sexy standard. Yeah. I need my Shakespeare to be hot or I'm not interested. And especially, I mean, Twelfth Night's got some wonderfully sexy moments. Yeah. Yeah. To me, Twelfth Night is very sexy. I find it very sexy. I also think, I mean, there's a, there's a, I definitely get a sense of the drama of yearning in yeah. Twelfth Night. Oh, yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel like a trans story. No, Not that it has no, no, to no, no, be, no, no, like... no. But it is about. I mean, it's it's the unrequited thing, mm-hmm. and it's. I mean, it's the image of love versus the reality. Yes, it's the discovery of what it feels like and being in love more in love with the feelings than you are with the actual person that's in front of you. Oof! Right. Yeah. Talk talk about adolescence. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, like <laughs> Olivia, I mean, she's awakened from this. She's so committed, and I think Olivia is someone who feels things immensely, mm-hmm. and she feels grief. Yeah. And suddenly, the grief transforms into this passion. Yeah. That ah, oh, 
And yeah, same with Orsino. He's in love with being in love. Mm -hmm. um, oh man, love that play. Lastly, before we wrap up, is there any bit of text that you would like to speak? Your your favorite horniest bit? Whoa. Okay, so this is the one that just came to mind. Yes. And I don't know... I think it's a very beautiful bit of text. I think the horniness is mm -hmm. comes out of more of a stilted place of of uh. A, a, anyway, this is from this is from Midsummer Night's Dream, and it's uh it's Oberon it's Oberon talking to to Puck. I know a bank where the wild thyme blows, where ox slips and the nodding violet grows. Quite over-canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk roses, and with eglantine. There sleeps Titania, sometimes of the night, lulled in these flowers with dances and delight. And there the snake throws her enameled skin, weed wide enough to wrap a fairy in. And with the juice of this, I'll streak her eyes. Make her full of hateful fantasies. Yeah. Amazing. I don't know. I, that I always was get, lovely. Because he's like, he knows that. He knows mm. that bower. He's been there before. Oh, yes. He knows that bower. I know a bank where the wild thyme blows. Mm -hmm. You just Quite did it, over. I did. I did. I'm just like, I'm just <laughs> processing through it. Maybe that was a good place to stop. I love you. We'll edit this out. No, I love, I'm going to keep it in. I love you. I love you too. This is great. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Of course. I'm going to go and just think about that language for and the I'm rest gonna, of the evening I'm, I'm going to listen to you speak it <laughs> the rest of the evening. I, uh, so thank you for, for, for this. And uh, Wiley, did it, did it do it for you? It did it for me, Aurelia. <laughs> All right. I'm going to turn this off now. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For You podcast is created, hosted, and edited by Aurelia Gerson to the best of their abilities. The show is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott-Thomas. Our marketing and media manager is Eleanor Hobson, and our visual design is by Market Chambers. You can follow the pod at That Do It For You on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Patreon at patreon.com slash that do it for you pod to join our horny little community.